system. If you a snitch, you get a clip full of in the head with a You can run for camp. I think that should be added to the lexicon. Feeling warm, feeling norm. And you should make a shirt and have a picture of Norm from Cheers. I would make that's a, four, like a top top selling shirt. One of the top selling shirts. I would make a billion dollars for Spencer's gifts if I gave them <laughs> that idea. I know it's like I wish I hadn't said anything. No. It's like too valuable of an idea. Spencer, if you're hearing, don't listen. <laughs> Jeff with a G. Jeff with a G. Spencer of Spencer's gifts. <laughs> Oh, we're a little loopy, folks. It was a late night. It was movie yep. night last night. We enjoyed ourselves. And hello, and welcome to the award-winning podcast, The Academy Academy, the show that discovers the absolute, undeniable, finest mm-hmm. give performance in your favorite actor's esteemed career. I'm Don Saunderson. I'm Patrick Remian, and hmm. Am I gonna wake up every? Wake up time. Do I wake up? Wake up time. Do I wake up every morning like one of the protagonists in these movies? I don't know. Some of us wake up a smidge hungover from a movie night. Some of us are the protagonists of this film collectively. This, this all. Specific, all, oh no! All of them. All yeah, of them are having all, fun. Yeah. No one. No one is happy. They're none of them are having fun. I make more money dead than alive. I got mold everywhere. Covered in mold. Covered in mold. I'm Welcome a swamp to thing. The Academy. Oh my goodness. And of course, we are talking about a revisited our first revisited film in a bit on the show. Yeah. I think I, maybe um Top Gun or the fan with a lamp. But um mm-hmm. of course we're talking about Antoine Fuqua's twenty ten actually two thousand nine release, but release initial premiere in 2009 and we've we got some new data on why perhaps it took a year between (laughs) (laughs) between release at its premiere at sundance and its eventual release in theaters of course we're talking about brooklyn's finest brooklyn's Mm -hmm. finest is on stars currently or is it on stars now? I think it, I think it left stars. I'm sorry. Folks. Yeah, <laughs> we're recording these all over the place. I will uh, do a, a on the spot uh, double check on this. But yes, it looks like um, actually it looks like it's hit the Roku channel now. Mm-hmm. If anyone has the Roku channel. But otherwise, I rented it off of Amazon. I yeah. imagine you did the same. The classic, classic prime, primed it up. Classic primed it up. Yeah, it's, it's too bad because it really is a, um, it's a stars movie. This is a yeah. stars original. <laughs> it's spiritually, one, spiritually. Yeah. yeah, it's on disc. It can be rented through all of the services. We of course have covered this film before in our Wesley Snipe season, but now we get to go a little more in depth, talk mm-hmm. a little bit more, a few of the angles. On this movie, yeah. beyond simply Wesley Snipes' strong supporting performance in the film, we're, we're filling those cracks with stucco, folks. Now, I think the first time we watched this, we kind of decided it was kind of uh, May. You know, yeah, meh, whatever. Shrug the shoulders, whatevs. This yeah. time around, I think both of us had a far more extreme reaction to this movie. <laughs> I don't know if it's like the world has changed or whatever, but. <laughs> I don't know. Sometimes it's like, is the world changed? Do um do movies release the same like 
toxin that like cats release like that like bacteria that makes you like like cats do you know what i'm talking about yeah i don't that know break- if they're not like Joe Dante talks about how it's like, you know, you see a movie at the right time in your life and then it comes back around and you see it again and it becomes a different movie because you're different yeah. as a person. <laughs> and let's say the year and a half since we last watched Brooklyn's Finest. Yeah. Perhaps we are different as people. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah, that's true. Um, yeah. And it's not just cinematic toxic plasmosis. I think I felt, I mean, let's, we just call it what it is. I think we both found this movie kind of harrowing. Yeah, like, it's 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 a kick in the face yeah. over and over again. Not in a yeah. bad way. That's good. I, I like being remember it being so grim. And it is one of the grimmest movies I can think of in recent years in out of America, yeah. at least that's ostensibly mainstream. It, it gen- genuinely com- commits to the unhappiness of every protagonist. I don't think like this I don't think anyone spoiler spoilies upcoming. I don't think I, I can't remember if anyone makes it out. I don't even th- no no nah, gear does well, we'll sort about, of. We'll talk about that in a bit. Does he make it out? Does he, does he make, make it out? does he make it out? I mean, he makes yeah. it out, but does he make it out? And I, one thing I was noticing too, it's like because thinking about kind of like the movies that this is like would like to be, uh, you know, which is clearly like the Lamette and the Scorsese and mm-hmm. kind of the big American kind of crime epic right oh yeah very much uh those movies are all funny the scorsese and city lament movies they have scoops and spoofs and goofs bits yeah they're like uh, yeah goodfellas is one of the funniest movies ever made in addition to many of the other accolades you could throw at goodfellas it's really really funny um there's nothing funny in brooklyn's finest i think very a good fella. I, I text you. I was pretty proud of the comparison that it's um, like a Sidney Lumet film as directed by like the early career Alejandro Gonzalez in Iritu. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, this is this is Iritu's like Serpico. Yeah, it's like it's Serp- yeah. It's, and then when Serpico gets shot in the face, he's just dead. That's it. Like, there's no like, yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> the end. <laughs> the end. Yeah. Yeah. It's like it is real miserableism. Mm-hmm. Craig to well, eleven. Yeah. Well, and there's like even like earlier crime movie. Like, I think about like Deep Cover and like New Jack City. Those had like those, those were funny. funny. Too. Those yeah. Are funny moments. Like, they yeah, had, they're like there's they levity in this. Film. Yeah. Yeah. I think like because it's like what they're do what the characters are doing are, is so grim that it's mm-hmm. like you kind of have to figure out a balance or else it just does become miserableism or yeah. you have to be like like a certain kind of director like like obviously like the European art house directors can do nonstop mm-hmm. miserableism and get away with it yeah. I think um, you know we talk about a podcast favorite that we've never covered Sicario Ooh. It's pretty like although there is a couple like yeah. weirdly well, like ironically funny moments in Sicario, I, I guess. But it's like, like yeah. I cause Denny Villeneuve is not known for like No, he's not a suits and goose guy. Kind of suits of humor. But it's like there this movie has no humor. No. No, no is. even attempts. There's no even like um Michael Bay moments where they're attempting to be funny and it's just kind of cringy. It's like not funny. At all. Yeah, well, and I and and in some respects, I'm glad for that. Yeah, it's like Me a too. cringy. That'd be kind of rough, like a like a a movie like this, but with like the Michael Bay sensibility. 
That, that, that would have been thing. worse. Would have been yeah. worse. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah. But uh, but I agree with like yeah, because like even like I feel like a character like Will Patton, you could easily like give him like a Josh Brolin Jodavive or even like Charles Martin Smith and Deep Cover, like that level of skeeziness a little bit. And, and I think can... like I think Ellen Barkin kind of gets it. Yeah. I think she's trying for it, and you know, like a gold star to her. She comes in, doesn't get a lot to do, and like is quite mm. memorable. With what oh she yeah, does. she's yeah, she's probably like the most. As, I love how like just pure like mustache twirlingly evil she yeah. is. Yeah, she's, she's, she's like, straight up just like I just I'm just doing this for the you know. What's the, the icing on the cake? She's also racist. Like you know, it's like. <laughs> Indeed, so uh, totally irredeemable. Irredeemable. This is also this is also a movie that does not really dabble in subtlety. Everyone no. is everyone <laughs> is like on the, what they are on the surface is what they are. They're going big. Like, you could you could call this movie the worst day of their lives. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No. And it's okay. So the basic story of this movie. Um, it's a kind of a um, you know this was really hot. They were um, mm-hmm. called hyperlink movies. Um, you know you had kind of Robert Altman as the like king and originator of the style of like let's get a huge cast and do a bunch of different stories kind of movies. Um, Paul Thomas Anderson was doing them with Boogie Nights and in particular Magnolia. Within a few years, this one, um, in a redo, does it? Oh yeah, and, you know his first three movies: Amores Peros, um, Twenty One Grams, and Babel. And um, of course, there was Crash, the Paul Haggis movie, which is oh man, is what it is, what it is. <laughs> yeah, it would be a fascinating movie to revisit at some yeah, point. Yeah, and I maybe. think it's probably the most comparable to this movie mm-hmm. out of that oh. group. Yeah, I can see that. Or the Inaritus. Um, it's it's definitely like I feel like yeah this is definitely halfway between like Crash and like Amoris Paris or yeah, something yeah yeah it's just like endlessly bleak and there is kind of this confusing thing that if you're endlessly bleak that must mean you're serious that must mean it's good art um, occasionally sometimes sometimes yeah it's hard it's hard to pull off it's hard to pull yeah, off yeah it's hard to pull off I agree so. Hyperlink movie set around basically around the world of three police officers. The in three the... saddest men. <laughs> the three kinds of sad. <laughs> totally. <Yeah. laughs> it's the forced five stages of grief, the three kinds of sad. <laughs> um, so the first officer we meet is, of course, Detective Sal Proceda, played by our beloved Ethan Hawke. Um, who I don't, you know, you don't necessarily, he's not the first that comes to mind when you think of hot-headed Italian-American cops. Yeah. Catholic Just cops, but, give him, you know. Give him, the la- give him the last name O'Rourke or something. Like, you know. <laughs> I know, you kind of think he's an Irish guy the entire time. And I know straight he's Italian. Up... Yeah. It's crazy. But regardless, he's he's too good of an actor to let the strings of a oddly odd and on the surface odd casting choice stop him no, no, we no. meet him in the beginning and kind of um uh he's having a conversation mm-hmm. in a car the guy named carlo powers played uncredited cameo by another 
great actor, Vincent D'Onofrio. The D'Onof. And uh, if you've watched the Criterion Channel conversation on method acting with D'Onofrio and Ethan Hawke, they're buds. And they're like big, like, you know, after what, like I saw that between both. And I was like, oh, they're doing like their whole, like, I'm a serious actor method acting thing here. And they're having a great time. <laughs> so it's like that uh, Al Pacino movie where he's British and he has yeah. that one. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, roulette or whatever the hell that was. Country called. time, whatever. Yeah, whatever. That was. It was good. Oh was no, good. Yeah, there's um, yeah, the one where he does like that's sweet. Yeah. Oh my. Yeah. Whatever. The, the local yeah, just, stigmatic. The local stigmatic. Thank you. Yeah. How could we forget? What a classic. Oh my gosh, what a classic. Classic. classic film. But that's like yeah, they're doing their little local stigmatic. You know, they're showing they're showing yeah. their chops. They're real actors. They show their chops. They're real actors. They get to, they're doing like the whole like cursing up a storm gangster thing. Turns out I'm a baddie. Tur- but yeah, but then <clears throat> Ethan Hawke just pops Vincent Offer. That's it. He's done. One scene wonder. <laughs> oh boy. Grabs a bag of money and flees. He then later um, confesses to a priest in a very like on the nose like Catholic guy. Yeah. I'm struggling with being a baddie, but I want to be a goodie so bad scene. Um, he's in terrible, he's a cop, actually. He's in a terrible financial situation. He yeah. seems to have like, so the number here, I'm looking at the plot line, the plot points. He has four existing children and two twins on the way. He's knocking up his poor wife, who's played by Lily Taylor, nonstop. It's like, she- Folks, she's got the asthma. Yeah, she's got she's got a fungus ailment. They all have fungus and ailments. His, his house is a mold cesspool, apparently, <laughs> and it's killing. It's slowly killing everyone in his house. Yeah, his wife first and foremost, and he's got all these. The mold is jeopardizing everyone's health, and it's um, he is desperate to move. So we get a lot of Ethan Hawke on the phone through this movie, mm. working real estate deals. Trying to get a house going. Um, We mentioned this on the previous episode. Again, um, he seems to have a bunch of friends who perhaps could take in his ill wife while pregnant for a spell while he gets things together. Simple solution. Didn't cross Sal. Did not cross Sal's mind, it seems. No, no, no. That'd be too easy. (laughs) Sal goes straight to perhaps robbing crime scenes that he's investigating. (laughs) Where would the movie be without? (laughs) And, um, oh, and the down payment is due like Tuesday. And he's got, he's got to get that cash. Where is it? He's still short. Um, luckily though, he's Mm. like, um, out of the group too. I mean, like, that's one thing I kind of like as well out of the group is that they're all like skilled. Like, yeah. as police officers, they actually are skilled police officers that we're meeting, with maybe the exception of Richard Gere, but we'll get to that. But, like, mm-hmm. Ethan Hawke's guy is like a, I'm the first one in the front door of, like, a raid, like, badass. No, this is like, it's like a classic, uh, it's like uh, The Force or, like, uh, that recent, like, uh, like David Simon, like Baltimore police, a corruption show where it's like, yeah, they're these guys that are like the people that are usually the first people in at like narcotics busts, but then, you know, because they're the first ones in. 
you've seen it a million times. This yeah, guy, so. this character. Uh, Ethan Hawke also spends a great deal of its time at home, like either wearing a tank top or shirtless. So we get a great display of this gigantic, like religious Catholic back tattoo that they straight up looking him. like straight up looking like Eastern promises. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's really like again subtlety was not what they were going for with this movie <laughs> this kind of role that he just sort of has that insane tattoo though i like i like that fuqua has cranked this movie absolutely to the gills he's a maximalist like, yeah it's it is like everything from these kind of movies you've seen in the past all the cliches unapologetically cranked up to like a thousand you know on the <laughs> <laughs> on the crime movie scale. Um, meanwhile, so he is desperate for money and getting desperate, or some would mm. say. <laughs> meanwhile, we meet Officer Eddie Dugan. Oh, oh, boy. Played by Richard Gere, a week from retirement after 22 years of unremarkable service to the force. <laughs> His, <laughs> we meet him, he gets... Swings his legs out of bed and like all of us, immediately mm-hmm. grabs the pistol that's <laughs> yeah. sitting bedside our bedside pistol. Well, first bedside whiskey. Whiskey before bedside, pistol. Best, you're right. Gotta there's an order. Yeah. <laughs> whiskey order before here. pistol. Whiskey whiskey before pistol. There's another <laughs> shirt. <laughs> <laughs> Just a picture of fucking <laughs> whiskey before pistol. <laughs> oh, I mean, that is so. That is a bad taste, but it's funny. It's funny, <laughs> funny. It's bad taste. Bad taste, but it's funny. They can be both. Um, <laughs> so he takes a swig of whiskey and then puts a pistol in his mouth and pulls the trigger. Luck, safe again, Eddie. He lives. He, um, Richard Gear. Much like Ethan Hawke commits to this, like hundred percent, every actor in this movie actually is like treating this like they're in the movie that's going to win Best Picture. I think, in particular, because I don't think Richard Gere has actually ever been nominated for an Academy Award off the top of my head. I think he kind of thought this was a Best Supporting Actor type swing he was taking. Yeah, I mean, like, you look at, like, you know, Matt Dillon and Crash got it. Why not? You're right. Why not, why yeah, not the gearhead? Yeah. yeah, and he actually is um, phenomenal in this movie. He rules. He's great in this. He's, he's like, oh, such a... Yeah. He's asked to do... I mean, like, I have never seen anyone on screen who look more dead-eyed and exhausted and just done. And, like, he, he, he's soul... Like a... soul the visual interpretation of having your soul crushed is this character, Eddie Dugan. Just like totally, he feels like a specter walking the earth. He feels yeah. like, like translucent, like people, like when people tried to touch him, they would just like walk through him. There's just something so dead in his eyes. And so just defeated and, and slumped over. It's mm-hmm. just, it's very sad. Yeah. He has no relationships. The other cops in the force think he's a loser. And tell him so to his face. Yeah, the no only per- the only person he has any level, like much like Ethan Hawke with his priest, the only person he has any level of like a vulnerable relationship with is a sex worker named Chantel that he has to hire. Yeah, like, who is clearly not into him at all. It's just like it not is. As, she's just you know 
she'll do what needs to be done. Like everyone Yeah. else in this movie will do what needs to be done. You know, it's not like it's a love story, folks. Hey, love story. No. They're all just I mean, there's trudging literally towards one their graves. point where she's like with another cop and he's just kind of has to wait at the door. Like he's like, like he's at, like he's at a doctor's office. And keep in mind in that scene, he has like, like, was it like a a necklace for her or like a flower? Like, I feel like that was that the scene where like he like Yeah, tries he's to. like trying to like, yeah, he's like trying for more, but he's so awkward and so like gutted by everything that he has seen that he's incapable. Well, and that's why we were comparing him. And of course, Richard Gere is the titular American gigolo for Paul Schrader. He's doing Paul Schrader's new movie right now. They just finished shooting it. Oh, the Canada Um, one? yeah. Wow. Um, But this feels like such a Paul Schrader character because it's essentially a guy who his arc is that he sees an opportunity for redemption. And the question is, you know, does he get it out of it? But it's like, and this kind of like, we could go right to it here. We haven't got to the third storyline yet, but it's like each one of these things is its own story. But imagine if, like, you had, I think you had texted me, like, they had made Richard Gere character, given him all the Catholic stuff, too, on top of this, and just made it about this one guy for an hour and a half. Yeah. That's all they need. Would have, he would have been nominated for Best Actor at the Academy Awards. Like, Yeah, if they had just made it like a, a Schrader-esque, you know, just one, yeah, because like there's him and we still, it's crazy. We've been talking for a while. And we still haven't even gotten to the third protagonist. There's yeah, like, a, so... there's another guy. We'll, we'll swing. So the next protagonist is Officer Clarence Tango Butler, played by the equally great Don Cheadle. Um, Ooh, sheets. nice to see him. And he's an under his story is that he is an undercover cop working on a drug bust. He um he's been undercover for I don't know ten years. <laughs> like it feels like it. it's a long time. Like it feels like he's he is um. He gets it naturally because it's fully expected. He gets divorce papers delivered to him by his wife on the, you know, from his wife on the outside. Um, he he is desperate to get promoted to a desk job. He wants out. He is tired of this. The heat is Brady. on. He's not. He's having difficulty. Um, the lines are being blurred between his lives. And he does not like that because he is like every one of these guys at one point, his intentions here were good, Yeah. but the internal and external corruptions are just too much for these guys to take. The the complexities of life have uh, come in full force into these individuals' So lives. if you, if you thought Tango was a happy go lucky chap, to Mm -hmm. offset Eddie and Sal. He's not. No, No, he's not. <laughs> He's, he's, he's sad yeah, he's, <laughs> he's and hurting. mad. He's hurting too. Oh, he's hurting bad. Um, he, uh, his, his handler in the department is an Academy Academy favorite, Will Patton, who we've seen many times before. Um, who's just good. He's great in this. Cause he's like, he's got that whole thing of like, does he like Tango? Does he have Tango's best intentions? Hmm. You can tell. And Tango's just desperate. And then 
basically what comes down from even higher up cops want the kind of personified by Ellen Barkin, who comes in like a house of fire, um, is that if Tango can score a bust against his close friend who was recently released from prison, Kaz Phillips, played by our man, Wesley Snipes, Ooh, if Mr. They, can, Blade. they can assure the arrest of Kaz and the bust that... Um, Tango will be pulled from mm -hmm. uh, undercover Think uh, work. That's right. Yeah, yeah, undercover work. So he's got something. He, unlike our other two men, have something to has something to look forward to. At least. There's there's a little light at the end of the tunnel. Just a smidge. But it's but it's also hurts because he and um they make it very clear how close he and Wesley Snipes are, and that's mm -hmm. and Wesley Snipes like gets drugged back in it's like he doesn't even it seems like when we first meet him he's like no i just did time in prison i don't really want to go back to prison i'm thinking about being like a regular guy a yeah bit. it's it's that classic thing where like it's like you're they're making their villain a little bit mm -hmm. yeah. yeah um so we've got these three storylines. And one thing I really, really like about this movie is there are a few sequences in which Foucault um, is cross-cutting between what they are up to and kind of ratcheting the tension, like Ethan Hawke's going on a bust, Richard Gere's trying to defuse like that grocery store thing. Oh, and yeah. they're on the roof, I think, with um, confronting Michael K. Williams with ta on Tango's story. I think that's what's... But regardless... Yeah. There's a rhythm to the movie and kind of a aggressiveness and a more adventurous spirit in its editing than we've seen, I think, in other Antoine Fuqua movies. And yeah, it's... I, I admire it. I think he's like he's not trying for a shooter here. He's trying for a bigger movie, like a yeah, much he's... more noteworthy movie. This this is his like uh once upon a time in America. This is like his like uh mm -hmm. his yeah. his his huge like his huge uh uh crime epic that you know we always need a couple of those every kinda, year. We right? talked about it with the some of our other directors. It's kind of this was, but this is his go. This is his attempt to hit a grand slam. This is he won't you know this is an Oscar attempt. Yeah, type movie which we have not. I think Training Day is almost an accidental Oscar movie. I don't think that they planned on it, mm -hmm. but it just turned out so damn well. It was, un you know, undeniable. But I think, like, this is clearly his first attempt at, you know, a much more, like, basically heavy adult crime drama. Yeah, too. it's more refined. Yeah, because I would even put this yeah, in, like, a, pl a place above, like, a Donnie Brasco, even. We're just, like, in terms of sheer scope. Yeah, Not that, so like Donnie Brasco. Donnie Brasco is a better movie, but I think like in terms of like what this is trying for compared to that movie. But it's a fair comp in terms of what he's like. That this is the kind of that's the kind of movie that was probably on Fuqua's mind when he made this movie. Oh, for sure, because like yeah, Don Cheadle's like I feel like his arc is like the last like hour and a half of Donnie Brasco, like, the second half of Donnie Brasco, and things like things have already gone sour at this point. Yeah, <laughs> and getting sour. <laughs> yeah, so, no. <laughs> so Eddie Dugan on his final week is assigned to oversee some 
a series of unfortunate rookies. We'll call it that. Yes, this this is just a... a... Even he's like, are you sure? You think I'm the guy to introduce these guys? Like, to give them, like, to, to give them positive vibes about being a cop? I'm not... He, he, he's self-aware. He's like, I'm not... Like, I'm not... They're not gonna like me. Yeah. And I'm not a positive person. <laughs> like, there, there's like, like a almost a Sisyphean ancient Greek uh Promethean in the sense of like, you know, the liver the buzzard's eating his liver. Like this guy is just like I let, like let the, me leave. I like I like the Sal and the Tango stories. We've seen them before. I don't feel we've seen the Eddie storyline as much in movies because it's not yeah. as sexy. It's just no, not, you know, and that's what's cool about like the way that like it it is so its commitment to portraying this guy as such a boring do nothing schmuck who has absolutely had was any coast, sense of optimism coasted for twenty two years. Yeah, he gave up. To get he his totally pension. he gave up. Yeah, it's awesome. It's a fascinating character, you know. Yeah, and that. you do wish this was a hundred minute movie just about him yes because that's enough yeah i mean it was yeah it makes you want to do your own kind of like version of it in a way oh like, for sure but it's like you know it's like because it's like it you know you think about a movie like it's such a good story like we've seen it in a lot of like lawyer movies the verdict or even michael clayton to an extent the guy who's just given up mm-hmm. lost his soul drinks too much lost his fam like all of those elements and is given like a moment to say wait there could be one more thing Mm -hmm. that i can kind of like i could do one thing right in my life yeah like uh even like living the bill nye movie that's like yeah 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 exactly yeah yeah like that's a good like the that's a redemption story and that usually works if you do it right like if mm-hmm. you can like you hit the beats that you need to hit, I think they could have. Yeah, and I think they I think... had the actor, really like a really really game actor to do that story, too. Oh, for sure. Like he is so committed. I because I think like the part of it, what part of what helps his performance too is just like the context of it being like Richard Gere, like one of the most like conventionally attractive in his time. Like this is such a drab yeah. performance for him. Kind of a guy who you know accused of being kind of an empty vessel hunk, yeah, early in his career as an actor. Like, yeah, to see him now as like a you know what he probably was in his early 60s, mm-hmm. yeah, and he's like, weaponizing 50s, his like early 60s, yeah, he, he's using that empty vessel like critique and like being like, hey, you want an empty? I'll show you an empty vessel. This yeah. is what a real empty vessel looks I, like. I, I told you, I mean, I, I think it's an astonishing performance this second time around. Like, I really do. Like, it's, he is elevating a lot. Yeah. Well, it's just, like, the silences, the stares. Like, sometimes, like, when he's in that, like, devil uh, stripper, like, you know, when he's in the stripper room, it's always red light. And, like, his eyes look black almost, like Sam Watterson and Nixon. Opening shot of him um, driving around with the first rookie and just, like, looking out the window of his car and just, like, the way he's, like, holding his face, just, like. Like I've never seen somebody so exhausted. (laughs) He's so done. Yeah, he's yeah, and it's like it. It's really good acting. 
you buy it completely. It's kind of what a, a great what a great movie star and a great actor does is like you take some like you were saying take some of the persona we've known about you and look for ways to kind of like play with that and surprise with that like i mean obviously the most recent great example is dicaprio and killers of the flower moon like you you've seen him so many times being kind of swaggering or being kind of like a it haven't be a dumb dumb like a true dummy yeah and it's almost like whoa he's what what is this guy's deal he's like kind yeah. of playing with it because it's like oh you've never seen dicaprio like do that like and it's just that way of continuously challenging yourself because it's should, i'm sure it's very easy just to get paid very handsomely yeah yeah bring the persona you have to the table and Take call it a day and you know tip of the tip of the cap to mr richard gear for looking to stretch go a little outside the box with this move with this movie and this performance i know i'm sure when this script crossed his desk he was like oh, i could do something with that yeah i mean I, I like yeah for all its flaws at the very least this is like a, if you're an actor this would be a fun script i imagine a lot oh, of media yeah, roles they, oh every one of them gets to do fun stuff so yeah. um Eddie's first partner is straight out of the Marine Corps. And of course, it's um, Logan Marshall Green yeah. from Prometheus. <laughs> Upgrades, Logan Marshall Green. Upgrade, yeah. Prometheus. Uh, you know, we love this guy. All the beggars. Um, and they, um, they're just like driving around and Logan Marshall Green tries to stop like a attempted like assault in the street. Yeah, well, Every Richard, you're... Like, yeah, well, Richard he's Gears getting like, a fishing rod, by the way. Yeah, and Richard Gere's like, "Don't do that, man. This is not our. This is not even our territory. I mean, like, why would you do that?" And Logan Marshall Green does not understand that Richard Gere is not Serpico. He is very much like, "Don't give a shit. Leave it alone. Not my job." Nope. Like this. he's like, "My job takes place within this portion of Brooklyn, not this portion." So whatever happens here, man. That's just too much paperwork. I can't deal with this. So with Logan Marshall Green thinks he's like a total like cynical coward, like everyone else on the force almost immediately. Yeah. <laughs> everyone hates Richard Gere, yeah, by the way. He's like bullied. He's, uh, yeah, he's like bully. He's like the oldest guy there, and they treat him like shit. It's like it's 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 really something. Yeah. Oh man. And the he gets um. So Logan Marshall Green wants to be like reassigned to I think he probably wants to be on Ethan Hawke's team like at the end of the day like the the door the the, the guys who break down doors yeah he wants to be part of the cold squad unfortunately for Logan Marshall Green he's reassigned and immediately off screen killed <laughs> in, a, in a bus gone wrong is he the, the, the only new cop to Richard Gere sees this he's just like oh things get sadder like <laughs> my life. That's also like the one scene where he, Richard Gere interacts with Ethan Hawke. They, they that's the other thing though. It's like our three leads like barely cross paths, like mm -hmm. only to the mildest extent. And that could probably help this movie maybe if we they maybe met up more. Yeah, these three these three incredible charismatic actors we could do something. They maybe don't. Eddie's at a poker game. Yeah, you know? at the Bolt Eddie, House. Eddie, Eddie and Sal just kind of like see the notice that this guy got killed, and they're just like, <sighs> it's kind of their, <laughs> both their reaction. They're just like, 
<sighs> like size Catholicly. Yeah, size yeah, Catholic size. That's, that's what we could have been called. Catholic size. <laughs> and so Eddie is given a second partner, this time played by the actor Jesse Williams, who is not as like gung ho ex marine as Logan Marshall Green, but he still is like a little more like, why are you a police officer if you do not seem to have any desire to do above the bare minimum of being a police officer, you know, and Richard Gere has no real good answer for that at all. (laughs) Why are you like the human equivalent to salted earth? He's like, Like... just Richard Gere's entire advice about being a police officer seems to be survive 22 years so you can get a pension and then kill yourself after (laughs) it's over. We're we're laughing because we have to. Because it like comes it's full so circle. Because it's, it's deep. so like it's like everything we're describing is done with a deathly straight face. Yeah, it movie. is. Yeah, and just the cartoonish, grim nature of Richard Gere's life is like you. You can only because it, it's just it's so much. It's just so sad. So then, um, they end up at this grocery store. They're trying to. There's a guy who is accused of um shoplifting yeah this grocery store and the shoplifter and the grocery store are screaming at each other and richard gear is like i gotta go run to the car to like check out this guy's id leaves the other poor rookie in there and the rookie pulls out his gun he gets out of control he fires off around and um causes the teenager to go deaf um Mm. meanwhile we should note at the beginning of the movie there was an officer involved shooting in one of the Brooklyn projects that has that looks like maybe it was a dirty cop who did might it. Been, might have even been Carlo. Yeah, I mean, if it, yeah, exactly. And they're um, it's teeming with tension. In yeah. So we've got another incident mm-hmm. of a cop going off, off, you know, out of control. Yep. In the neighborhood, so internal. Investi- internal affairs led by oh my gosh in a brief moment to um oh good golly i'm forgetting his name uh, clay davis yeah clay uh, davis Zio, Zio Whitlock, Zio whitlock jr yes. baby yes oh, man, I, so I, good so, apologies mr whitlock you're a wonderful actor who is always <laughs> welcome in films and television uh he comes <laughs> in as a mustache twirly infernal <laughs> affairs guy internal <laughs> affairs guy and he's like ah uh, yeah uh, this teenager had drug. He's the drug dealer. Like, You're just gonna say that, and and Richard, we need you to like say that, <laughs> like now, <laughs> yeah, please, please. Here's like, I don't know, man. I don't really want to do that. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, let wanna, me die. Like, let me. Yeah, let me. I want to leave. Let me die. Wanna, like, you put me with these idiots. You put me with these idiot kids. What do you expect? I'm not a good teacher. I'm not a good role model. I fucking suck. Look yeah. at me. So meanwhile, <laughs> um, Tango and Ke- Tango and Kaz. Tango and Kaz. You heard that. Yeah, you, Tango. Yeah, yeah, you heard that right. Um, <laughs> Tango is really concerned that Kaz, he can't decide. He's can't decide. Mm-hmm. whether to set up Kaz or not basically he doesn't want to he's mm-hmm. like they have a good relationship they're buds yeah. so he tries to get him to abort the drug deal 
that the feds mm -hmm. and Ellen Barkin want. But they are ambushed by a group of uh, rival dealers led by Michael K. Williams, Michael Ooh. Kenneth Williams of, um, you know, the late great million yes. things. You know, million things. Wesley Snipes is dead. He gets yeah. shot and killed right in the moment. Oh, no. Terrible. Life part of life during wartime, but this is ridiculous. This is ridiculous. Um, it's out of control. Don Cheadle goes back to Ellen Barkin and Will mm -hmm. Patton, and he's like, "We got to, we got to. I know exactly who did this. We got to get them. We can arrest them. It'll be great." And instead, Ellen Barkin makes a racist comment and says she fucked Don Cheadle fucked up her case, in which he tries to beat her up after that. Right up, it's it's out of control. By this you, point in the movie, things are out of control. You kind of wonder, like. There's like a part of me that's like, I wonder if that was just like a blind casting, if that was like a role maybe meant for like even a man. And then they were I like, bet, you yeah, know what? It's like, Ellen Barkin had a good be, take on this. Yeah, this would be fun if it's like yeah. a mean lady. <laughs> like, yeah. like a really mean lady. <laughs> Meanwhile, Sal's team is taking down raids everywhere and he's getting dirty looks from his partners because he's like eyeing the money. Like, yeah. Like, you're, like, you're more like, corrupt like, than usual. Yeah, you seem to be like looking at this money like a thirsty man in the desert <laughs> so he looks at a yeah. glass of Evian <laughs> you're looking at it the way that like a, a Looney Tunes character trapped on an island uh, imagines a rock to be a burger it's like as if he sees he has noticed Lady Bugs Bunny <laughs> and he's like whoa his eyes are <laughs> including his uh, main his main friend detective um, Ronnie Rosario, played by Brian F. O'Byrne, who I wanted to spotlight here. He's an Irish actor, and I thought oh, he was really good in this movie. Like, what a great... I want more of him. Yeah, I liked him so much. He's kind of like the one guy whose soul is still intact mm -hmm. in this movie. Also, should be noted, we did have a scene earlier where Ethan Hawke had his, buddy, his cop buddies over for poker, which is... doesn't have a hell of a lot to do with the plot, except for, like, Showing Ethan Hawke is really, really hard up for dough, and he's like willing to perhaps do some illegal activity to do so. It's a crazy, like <laughs> Irish, it's, it's... Irish, Italian cops, Irish and Italian cop stereotype scene gone to like fifty-five, well, twenty. Because there's like twenty of them around this table, and they're in the the dirtiest Staten Island. And Ethan Hawke's eighty-five kids keep coming in. Of course, he's got a daughter who's wearing a dress that's too short that makes him uncomfortable. All of the cliches that you could imagine are like on display in this scene. It's um, it's, it's a lot. It's, it's a it's lot. good. It's like pictured if like Scorsese had done it, it would have been really like funny. With mm -hmm. like a dangerous edge or something like that, not in the hands of Antoine. In the hands of Antoine Fuqua is like all just grim, like gross, like sweaty wall series. They're, so, they're so sweaty. They're all so sweaty. <laughs> they're all wearing like tank tops and smoking <laughs> indoors and shit. They <laughs> smell so bad. This is the worst smelling basement. No wonder you got mold, Ethan. You're never cleaning the place. It's sweaty all the time. It's like a sweat lodge. So, um. Yeah, and like things are getting crazier, and like Sal is like ev definitely going to do something. Um, yeah, he needs money. A bit rash, 
Mm-hmm. Oh, and, it, oh, and then his wife gets hospitalized. Yeah, the just, mold. What was oh yeah, the mold. It's, it's like I couldn't remember if it was like mold or cancer. Oh, it, and I, I like they, they go to the doctor and the doc and he's like, "What do you prescribe to help a doctor?" It's like, "Yeah, move." Yeah, <laughs> like, get out of the mold yeah, house. Yeah, you leave the mold house. The, the like, and, and then like set fire to the mold house. <laughs> yeah, like surely Sal has like family or like so oh, he had well. If he has, he's if he has six kids, there's no way he doesn't have like multiple brothers and sisters himself, right? Yeah, he must have like twenty. If he's brothers. coming from like an Italian American Catholic family, yeah, he, of that era, of his like age, yeah, there should be. Yeah, he has siblings. He's he's, he's got. He's not an only child. <laughs> yeah, he has. Yeah, he, there are options for him. He needs yeah. to think about these <laughs> yeah, options. Those, those options are do not. Concern birth control. Guarantee it. <laughs> like Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so he's just getting more and more desperate. Meanwhile, mm-hmm. uh Eddie has finally retired. We get this great oh, I love this, this is one. touches that when he retires and the guy, it's so unceremonious. And then he tosses Eddie's badge into just a box, like a shoebox. Of other yeah. old badges. You hear the clink. <laughs> and it's like, that's why this movie, you cannot, like, for all of its, like, dour, cliched moments, mm-hmm. there are moments of real, like, oh, that's a cool touch. Like, there are, like, things that, like, separate it from being just totally, like, run of the mill. Yeah, when it hits, it hits. Yeah, exactly. And it makes it worthwhile. Yes, like, I think both of us like last time around. Like we said, we were kind of like, oh, whatever. This time around, like that was like pretty memorable. <laughs> like, yeah, I, like, there's moments and texture to this that I did not that I did not recognize uh, initially. <laughs> yeah, I think that that's like another reason to rewatch movies in a way, like because you keep when we haven't done that for a while on the show because we you know I mean back in the couple years ago when we watched Sophie's. Oh yeah, what was this podcast about time. originally? Yeah. <laughs> What we do, <laughs> folks? We got it. We got some plans to return to the, to return to that, to return to that format for a bit, <laughs> in a little bit. Don't worry. <laughs> two um, words: John Leguizamo. Yeah. The pest two versus more words. Spawn. The, the pest. The pest. <laughs> <laughs> the, I've said it before, man. We can't do Leguizamo because the pest is like. It's more of a gimme than Sophie's Choice was for Streep. Like, yeah. like, Although I'm. I mean, although like we would then get to see the pest like every week for like that's true. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I think I <laughs> every every kid's dream. Good news, the pest won. Bad news, I'm divorced. <laughs> yeah, I've gone insane. I'm just I'm recreating the pest intro scene in my shower. Yeah, I know. I've redesigned my entire house to do the pest wrap. Oh well. Anyway, so stinky uh, dinky. Eddie has retired, and he asked Chantel. If she wants to move to Connecticut with him, um, she doesn't at all. Oh. <laughs> so he's, he's sitting in his car. Clearly, yeah. This, this could these could be Eddie's final moments. He's heading for <laughs> that when he sees a young woman being shoved into a van, and we recognize that he. Earlier in the movie, he was looking at missing persons on like a bulletin board, and it's clear this woman is that one of the, a missing person. Right. 
So this is where we get to kind of what we were describing earlier is that perhaps some, um, this could be Eddie's redemption. It yeah. could like give him something. It's like a, you know, the upside is that is the verdict. The downside is taxi driver. But one of the two, it's, it's going, you know, you know, the Schrader, mm -hmm. the Schrader version is the darker version, the oh, everyone else sure. version, you know, but, you know, but that's where we get that feeling. It's like, okay, this guy who's like, he's nothing. He's a loser. Maybe he has yeah. a moment of grace. Maybe he can have a moment of grace by saving this young woman. He can have his card counter moment. Yeah, we've seen it before, but I like this movie. I like that movie. I like the, that that story in movies. Like I like. Yeah, oh, I love like, it too. It's it's a it's a one that works for me. No matter how many times I've seen movies that do that. I mean, well, every like, Paul, every single Paul Schrader movie. It's it, yeah, it has well, that exact story. <laughs> well, in its own weird way, it's like a bastardized version of the underdog story. Like, can this guy? Can someone who's fallen so low? Crawl his way back up. Is that possible? You know who I just realized. You know who does the best, like dead-eyed. Got the version of this that I can think of in recent years. It's Nicolas Cage and Bringing Out the Dead. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's doing the same one. thing. He's doing the same thing that Gear is doing to this, but yeah, it, Cage is like <laughs> dynamo. Stare, yeah, staring into <laughs> yeah. the darkness. <laughs> yeah, <That's>, yeah. <laughs> But he needs to do that more. like insane and there well okay mr cage can wherever his whims take him yeah we'll follow <laughs> like, oh for sure you know another pig two why not pig why two not? pig in the city let's do it so eddie follows the van to the van dyke housing projects meanwhile mm. sal is heading to the van dyke projects because there's a bust that he knows of there and possible cash meanwhile revenge-minded tango is heading there to track down michael k williams character red for revenge against for the shooting of kaz and tango has perhaps lost everything lost his tether to um the reality of who he actually is yeah he's, he's he's more undercover than man at this point are all of these suicide missions at their heart? All three of these, I think, to varying degrees. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think Sal. I think Sal has too much hubris to think the worst could happen. I think he does think he's going to get away with it. And we've also presented him. He's like a hard ass. I do like that they've put that on the table. Like he enters first for these raids, even on his best days. He like chases dudes down the street by foot. Like he's like got that kind of like French connection, Popeye Doyle yes. style to him. Big, big Popeye Doyle energy from him yeah. for sure. So he so they're all going in. This is the one scene where they we kind of see and I kinda of wish he had like emphasized it a little bit more with this is the one scene where we kind of see all three of them. It's yeah. all because there's an opportunity here for really elegant, like it's all culminating. They're all they have a crescendo. Yeah, exactly. And it kind of it's sort of yeah. They never really. It is just a bummer that they never get the um yeah because it is like such a there's no moment like in Amoris Paris where there's like the car crash where they all that draws them all together. Well, there's no there's, like uh, there's a scene right before the frogs fall in Magnolia where they're crossing Magnolia Boulevard and the cars are passing each other with the different characters and the music is like 
going up and up and up and you're seeing everybody and they're hitting low, low, low. And you're like, oh, like there's, you could do this in a very like operatic way. And I think yeah. that's the best way to do these because it's like you're talking about all these individual, like seemingly um, regular people. Disparate folks. But what you're talking about is like America as a society when yeah. you're doing these movies, frankly. Well, that's what Robert well, the... Altman was doing. That's what Nashville turns out to be about. And that's you have to think about like, how can we make this like, you know, bigger? Big, like you're trying to make a movie about everything well so, and the thing the thing too is like always be in mind yeah the thing too is like this is like if you're gonna do a, have a conceit like this that's so like um like this the type of thing that doesn't happen in like reality go bigger don't you don't yeah. have to worry about playing for realism like like uh, push into the like like lean into the artistic element of it like the and storytelling if, element the well, i guess the word we're looking for is embrace melodrama yeah i guess what i would suggest is like it should be it should be over the top and dramatic this look what have we just described to you in the plot thus far this movie's insane it's so it's not... dramatic it's so tragic and like heavy like yeah. go all the way yeah just go yeah go all in go all in yeah. high end i want to like i want my socks blown off exactly exactly and i want it cinematically so like have them all cross paths like you know, like there's all sorts of opportunities where you could bring them together. Yeah, have, have their fights bleed into each other or something. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So, but it's also though, at the same time, like it's it is exciting, regardless. Like of they're all, mm -hmm. we know it's the end. Like we know we're heading toward the conclusion here. They're all on these big like life and death moments, basically. Right. So for so they get there. Sal breaks into apartment and kills three drug drug dealers. Just like, yeah, they're just like on their like they're like watching TV or watching playing TV. Xbox or something. Yeah, yeah, just kills them. He discovers their um stockpile of cash. It's plenty. Get him out yeah. of the mold house. Get him a new house. Yep. Unfortunately, unfortunately for Sal, though, he missed one guy, mm. and. Sal is shot multiple times, and oh, he's toast. Shot and killed. Yeah, Ethan. Yeah. Hawk well, and the and the thing. Well, the thing too wasn't wasn't that the kid? I could that they be totally... saw. They did. They saw him. Uh, they um, he was the kid who saw Sal hanging around earlier, and like informed yeah. that there's this guy around. Yeah. So he'd been watching Sal the entire yep. time, and Sal though is like was not. He was blinded. Yeah. By his by his need. Blinded by greed. Yep. And greed and need. Meanwhile, uh his partner or friend, they're not partners, but they're just like buddies, detectives on the forest, Ronnie. Yeah. Has kind of like he he got his tire blown out by Sal earlier to stop him from following him because he's like, Don't do this, Sal. He's the one guy in Sal's life who's like trying to be a good friend. Yeah. To Sal. Like, like, hey, like, you could, like, live with me a little bit. Like, yeah, he's trying other things. This movie is so grim, though, and I didn't remember what happened with Ronnie. I thought he Sal was going to shoot Ronnie, like, in the street. <laughs> like, <laughs> I did, really. <laughs> and I was like, I was like, I get this movie could do that the way this, the, everything plays out. But he um he gets there. He discovers Sal's dead body, and he's just like, oh, shit. And yeah, again, tip of the cap to Brian F. O'Byrne, like, 
in a movie filled with like megaton craziness, mm -hmm. he's like the most grounded person in the movie. He finds humanity yeah. amongst the insanity. It is like a nice, and it is like, it is crazy. It, you just to go back a little bit to what you said. It is like the fact that like this movie does open up with Sal killing a cop in cold blood. Yeah thoroughly insane like yeah his character is kind of doomed from the beginning yeah he's like he's he's a bad guy he and, is it's it's fast and he it's... thinks because he goes to church on sundays and he's good to and he's like seems like he's good to his family like trying yeah. for his family that that's enough but i'm just is, trying to look out for my family yeah yeah he is way way dirty and it's just lost. basically like a treatise from fuqua saying like being a cop is no good don't do it yeah. It's not worth it in any sense. Doesn't seem fun. All roads lead to tragedy. <laughs> sorrow. Yeah. It's a tragedy, sorrow, fascism, you name it. Yeah. <laughs> the big three. So, meanwhile, Tango goes in and he shoots up all the Red and his crew. Oh, yeah. Follows Red outside, the wounded Red, into the street. He... Uh, basically assassinates him right there in the street. And, but meanwhile, Rosar Ronnie, who has just seen Sal's body, has exited and he doesn't see Don Cheadle's badge and he shoots Don Cheadle. Ooh. And he realizes he's a cop. He's like, oh, fuck. This is <laughs> like, the worst yeah. day of my life. <laughs> yeah, and he's screaming and, as Tango. And I didn't realize, like, uh, Fuqua does these two sh these shots when they're dying. He does the same shot on Ethan Hawke and Don Cheadle, like laying on the ground. He like tilts the camera and kind of has a light behind them. I didn't yeah. realize like that's he he uses that as his like the end of this character shot. And I bet he did it in maybe a deleted scene with someone else <laughs> <laughs> as well. Who's to say? Yeah, could have could have been three people. And uh... so Rosario. Is um, they it's just all hell's broken loose. He's looking for a cop. Oh, it should be noted, he hasn't. I jumped ahead, he hasn't discovered Sal's body yet. He's just arriving at the scene because he followed Sal to the building and then he discovers Sal's body. Yeah, and he's devastated because it's his big bud. Uh, also, like this, it's like his worst day of his life now, too. Like, he's officially. Yes. Like, yeah. yeah, he's passed he's the room of God. He's, he's killed a cop and his best friend is dead. Yeah. Great. Um, <laughs> meanwhile, Eddie has entered somehow in the building, this building's basement, this building, which is being portrayed as hell itself. Yeah. Um, the sex slave dungeon portion of this building. <laughs> it's level three, sex slave dungeon zone. And he's going in and it's very, it's, it's comparable to, um, Kind of the end of Taxi Driver. Yeah. Feels or feels out of seven or something. Yeah. Just that level of grimy and evil. Yeah. And um, we get a wild, violent, gr frankly, gruesome fight scene between Eddie and one of the guys. <laughs> like, <laughs> that won't go down. Eddie shoots him and he won't go down. Yeah. Until he's like Eddie choking him. Puts a zip tie around the guy's neck and like straps it in and kills him. And it's that's a horrifying. Yeah. It's like it's, it's up there with uh, poor Brad Pitt, Westray and um counselor. 
Oh man, <laughs> was it the Bandito? Was it the Bandolero? <laughs> I oh, I love I love that like monologue that Vardam gives to Fastbender about it. <laughs> the Belito, the Belito, yeah, the Belito. Before uh, we're like, oh, he's introduced it. He says it's the worst thing in the world. Somebody is getting the Belito in this movie. That's Chekhov's worst thing, Chekhov's, sir. Chekhov's Belito, as, as we all know. So. Eddie, though, is hurt, but he's okay, mm-hmm. and he rescues all of these women, and so he's yeah. kind of a he, he's kind of a hero. Mm-hmm. He's finally done something, but he's kind of dead eyed, and he kind of walks off into kind of a fade out, a freeze frame. He walks into yeah. a freeze frame of Richard Gere, kind of like looking down with blood on his face, and it's the end of the movie. Wow, so. This movie premiered at the Sundance Film Festival in January 2009. Now, um, Antoine Fuqua is not like a um, Sundance Film Festival type guy. Yeah. Filmmaker. There's nothing wrong with that. But it's clear they had intentions for, like, to launch this as something different. Mm -hmm. Like a little more of an awardsy kind of thing. It was picked up by some a company called Senator Distribution, but due to financial distress, they couldn't fund its release in 2009, so it was sold to Overture Films that September at the Venice Film Festival, and was finally released in North America in March of 2010. And I remember this because it like you, I read reviews of the mm-hmm. movie out of Sundance, and then it just seemed to disappear for a year. <laughs> Oddly happened? enough, so there's an I read, I did not know this the last time we um, discussed this film. Mm. The original ending of this movie is not a freeze frame of Richard Gere. It's Richard Gere walking off then shooting himself. Ooh. And apparently the audiences of Sundance are like, this was a very unpleasant movie. This sucks. It's like, yeah, gritty. This doesn't make me happy at all. <laughs> yeah, I was expecting a, a clerks type movie. Here, <laughs> and I've I've been to Sundance one time, and it's like you kind of like go to a movie and you come outside. It's like having a margarita or like. Let's go, like, let's wander around in the snow. And go to a party. It's a good time. Yeah, what's Linklater up to? Yeah, yeah. It's like, <laughs> here's Rick Linklater. Good to see him. <laughs> the Link. So this is like, I and I, like, it's amazing to me, just the thought, like, nobody talked to them. and be like, this is, like, my friends, if I had written this script, what you, if I hand you this script, you had been like, it's awfully grim, man. Yeah, are you okay? You know, I, yeah, I would definitely yeah. be like, are you okay? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you need to talk, buddy. You got some mold in your house? Are you okay? I like... was like, that's rough, man. <laughs> and so they, they, they Antoine Foucault did listen and adjust, and basically just chopped it off. And it seems like they freeze frame. Yeah. Before that. And it's, I mean, it would have been interesting. I think the movie would have been far more infamous. And remembered by the general public if it had taken it all the way, you know. Yeah, I mean, in that honest, area. Yeah, honestly, that kind of would have been 
like just the idea of like like yeah like Richard Gere has like suffered so much like like that like freedom from the world is his reward yeah yeah and, sad um, very grim and it's interesting so I'm um Michael C Martin who wrote this script this was his first screenplay mm. um and he wrote it for a screenwriters contest that he got second place in and it got attention from that so folks those screenwriting contests which one could argue are a bit of a racket uh, <laughs> like they do they have paid off for some people gave attention got him an agent and he was hired to write a sequel to new jack city interesting fun point fun point but then he finally found some people who are interested in funding the um brooklyn's finest screenplay and kind of got passed around and Antoine Fuqua liked it. And then it, once Antoine Fuqua got attached, that kind of brought in this collection of really strong actors. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and Ethan Hawke has gone on before this movie and after to work with Antoine Fuqua. So cl- I think I imagine Ethan Hawke was the first one to say yes. And that kind of got the ball rolling with everyone else. Oh, yeah. Doing it. Interesting thing is, um, as for inspiration for his screenplay, uh, Martin named... Knights of Fellini's Knights of Cabiria, De Sica's Umberto D, and De Sica's Bicycle Thief, Italian neorealism films. Um, and he also said Jim Jarmusch. Was huh. there. So the like high-minded influences and kind of like like what he was going for was like a real like street-level realism, I mm. think is what he was after. Now it's you know, when it becomes a Hollywood movie and that kind of thing, you gotta kinda of heighten it a bit more. But yeah. I think when he he wrote it as like a pretty hardcore independent film, is my guess. Right. And then once all these other folks got involved and got bigger, it becomes just a bigger, slicker thing. So as we said, Brooklyn's Finest was released in Mar on North America on March fifth of twenty ten. The um, but bu- the budget on Brooklyn's Finest was a uh, trim, seventeen million dollars. Mm. Um, you know, again, Fuqua definitely trying for more of an independent, more of an art housey, if you will, yeah. type movie. Uh, made thirty six point four million at the box office. I think that there is a you know balancing act here because it doesn't satisfy in kind of fun loving crime movie areas, but it's not arty enough to satisfy the arty side of things um yeah it's uh so kind of came and went Mm -hmm. didn't get any didn't get any big awards nominations it's a forgotten Um, film a little bit forgotten film a little bit we've we've watched it more than most i'm yes (laughs) for sure although like it has like a 3.1 on um letterbox so mm-hmm. i think it has fans like there are I people it, that are I, i'm sure it does have fans yeah i'm sure it does mm-hmm. um these kind of movies you know oh yeah they do there are there are collections of dudes who really are into these kind of movies uh you know um holds a 44 percent on rotten tomatoes besides critical consensus reads it's appropriately gritty and soaked in the kind of palpable tension 
Antoine Fuqua delivers so well. But Brooklyn's Finest suffers from the comparisons its cliched script provokes. You've got to see Cinema Score 2. And the reason you got to see is clearly it's not fun. It's not, yeah. This is, this is not a, a good hang movie. Yeah. Um, Roger Ebert gave it three out of four stars. Film has a basic strength in its performances and craft, but falls short of the high mark Fuqua obviously set for himself. It's kind of what we've spent the last hour stating. Like, yeah. Good, good call, Rog. You, you came to the same conclusion we did. <laughs> he came to it 10 years ago, though, when it came out. So mm-hmm. you know, Roger gets credit. <laughs> yeah, a little ahead of the curve. Uh, Mick LaSalle, the San Francisco Chronicle, praised the actors for bringing dimension to these stock characters, but criticized the film for being a melodrama about three cliches in search of a bloodbath. <laughs> Great name for a movie. Three cliches yeah. in search of a bloodbath. Um, A.O. Scott, another great critic gave it a mixed review that the sheer charismatic force of much of the acting keeps you in the movie but mr fuwa and mr martin dig themselves into a pulpy predicament and then find themselves unable to do anything but shoot their way out (laughs) (laughs) so i think yeah i think the general feeling is like everyone came to play Mm -hmm. who's involved in this movie they just didn't get all the way there yeah like classic status and yeah, they got it's tough. It's tough. I think that feels disappointing because there are so many things in this movie that you're like, oh, they came so close in that feeling. And it's just like a little bit more. But I, I again I think I mentioned to Jen, I'm like, I give them all an A for effort. Yeah, they're trying something. Movie. Like they are they are trying to make a truly great movie. And here. yeah, and and like you said, there are like, you know, like the the um the hand in your badge scene where they plop in the badge, uh, a couple of scenes of Richard Gere just like looking straight into nothingness, mm-hmm. and his soul is just completely left his body. Like there are moments in this all, that work all, really every well. Every single top to bottom performance is good in this movie. Mm-hmm. Everyone is good to great. Even, um, I think that there are moments of real, real excitement, and real grace. Like you feel like, oh man, they came. Like you know, they talk about with like. Not to compare, we're just doing them at the same time. It's kind of the Swiss watch editing mm-hmm. of the Fincher films. And there are moments in this movie that are close, that yeah. are there. It's just, I think, like a little more fine tuning of the script, a little less obvious on it. Mm-hmm. And then finding a way to bring a little levity to it. Yeah, because real life has levity. It's not just a dour nightmare. Yeah, and it's like, I think like, and that's you know another thing Fincher I think really understands is like, you know, you kind of cross the the circle from insanely grim and gross back to humor pretty quickly. It's a pretty quick yeah. swing. Like his, I mean, we'll we'll get to it in a bit, but I mean, I think like the audience when I saw the killer. The audience was like laughing their asses off and it's purposely laughing their asses off because it's like there's some very funny stuff in that movie, despite the fact that movie also has like some of the most bone crunching violence <laughs> like around like, some great like Yeah, some great timing in that film for sure. Comic yeah. or otherwise. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. And I think um, understanding that, that like to be serious, to make a serious high level mm-hmm. movie. You kind of like 
I don't think you're I I and don't give me I love downer movies. Oh, I love yes. nonstop, like crushing, depressed, crushingly depressing movies. The American Cinematheque's Bleak Week. I celebrate that programming. <laughs> but and I think this would be I think that if they're brave next year, they should play this movie in their bleak Ooh. week lineup. I would love like get get this in with a Q&A with either Michael C. Martin or Antoine. Yeah, oh my gosh, I would, I'd be I'd, there in a heartbeat. I'd, yeah, we would, we would be first in line for tickets to that one, baby. I want to pick I, their brains. Yeah, I think I mean they played Alien 3 last year, so they're getting a little more and they understood how grim Alien 3 is. Like. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> being being trapped on a prison planet with yeah. like 50 evil bald British guys. I think that and yeah, Charles think S. Dutton. There's a lot I think this yeah, I think this movie like doesn't get there all the way, but it's so intriguing. We uh, give it another try, yeah, like we did. Like that's what that would be my like the final thought on this. I think there's more to it here. I think that like yes, it doesn't totally add up, but there's some nice pieces that are worthwhile and worth your time if you're up for very depressing. Two hours yeah. and ten minutes. <laughs> yeah, at the, at the very least, I bet there is a like. If you got access to all the stuff left on the cutting room floor for Brooklyn's Finest, I bet you could cobble up like a solid eighty-five minute movie just about Richard Gere's character. Yeah, I, you know, I'm wondering too. Is and I would almost like buy a used copy. Is the original ending on the Blu-ray? Ooh. In the deleted scenes. Maybe. I need to know. <laughs> I want to see that ending. I want to see that. Yeah, I want to see does, does the light go in the background for Richard when he's on the ground? I want to yeah, know. Yeah, I'm very curious. We'll have to uh, go by video tech to look at the cover and see if they're on the back they have got deleted scenes. Because I, I, I would be, I, it would be worthwhile to see some of that stuff, I think. But yeah, I think in general, it's not. It's not perfect. It's not a masterpiece. And it's it's aiming for masterpiece. And I admire anyone, any director yeah. who's shooting for the moon like that. He's, it's it's like there's passion behind it. It's a six out of ten, but it's a gentleman's six. Yeah. Tip of the cap. Tip of the you cap. Know, tip of the cap from Michael Caine to Christian Bale at the end of Dark Knight Rises. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, me and Don, we're we're in Italy and we see Antoine Fuqua. <laughs> He's yeah, shooting Equalizer I just, 3. I don't need to I don't need to say anything to Antoine. He knows I'm I'm referring with my tip of the cap to <laughs> his his efforts on Brooklyn's finest. He knows that. And then Antoine's like, oh that's my butler Don. What's he doing here? <laughs> I, I the, he's like the director who I'm like most nervous about ever hearing about this podcast because I'm yeah. like, I'm like, he's like, what are these two weirdos doing? What talking about trying to analyze these movies? Just, these are just movies I make. Leave me yeah, alone. Leave me alone. Don't like stop, stop. Like taking all the way, Antoine. We're gonna we're going all the way through Equalizer three, man. We're doing it. We're doing the whole song and dance. I'm sorry, we're yeah. doing it. So be curious, listeners, if you. Taking a look at this movie, what you mm -hmm. think? Of what do you think of this movie? Like, I think this movie actually provokes quite a bit of conversation. Yeah, and I think it's a pretty interesting one, especially a movie that not a lot of people, like a, a lot of people, a lot of folks missed. Yeah. If you have thoughts mm -hmm. on Brooklyn's finest, do you think it's one of the finest, or you don't think it's that fine? Yeah. Um, maybe check it should in be a musical. Us. Maybe that's what you yeah. think. Yeah. <laughs> 
That always helps. Ask uh, James uh, L. Brooks about that. Oh <laughs> like, I'll do anything. <laughs> oh, God. That is like one of the worst things I've ever watched for the pod was the <laughs> insane bootleg. <laughs> I'll do anything musical version. Yeah, yeah, I mean, but he was shooting for the moon there. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. Gotta respect it. Sometimes... That sometimes, with a... sometimes you get killers of the flower moon sometimes you get i'll do anything yeah <laughs> sometimes you're aiming for the moon and you accidentally uh nuke paris or something yeah, I don't yeah. know. <laughs> that's uh coming soon olympus has fallen um mm. check in with us at the academy academy podcast at gmail.com or on twitter at the acad acad next week on the program 2007's masterpiece from david mm. fincher zodiac currently on amazon prime blu-ray and can't be rented please note we are watching the director's cut and we'll be discussing elements of the director's cut we've already recorded it it's also a spoiler we've done this thing out of order so we've already talked about zodiac and it was great it was a great conversation you're gonna love it what are you talking we record these just the day before they're due and uh you know i feel like i'm in a christopher nolan movie like we're in tenet except it's like we're not saving the world and my son we're saving (laughs) we're gonna save this podcast we're gonna save this podcast all these movies Look, when you put the, the the glove near the podcast, it goes. It speaks in reverse. It does. Yeah, it's called Tenet. What does it mean? I don't know, but I loved it. <laughs> <laughs> it's about two 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 best friends having a fun two time. Best friends having a good time. I saw it with a former guest Graham High at the drive-in during the pandemic, and we were like, "You're allowed to talk," and so I was saying words like "awesome" or "whoa" out loud in the car as we were watching that movie. <laughs> Cool move with cheese grater. Cool movie. That's all. That's uh, at the end of the day. Cool movie. Anyway, cool movie alert. Zodiac. Director's cut next week on the program. Available across the formats. I noticed you can rent it mm-hmm. on Prime. I believe the one on Stars or on Am- the Paramount Plus is the theatrical cut, but you can rent the director's cut off of Prime as well. Just yeah. look at look. Pick the longer one. Yeah, do yourself a favor. Do prime. Do do the do the full cut. Bring do the bring it bring it in. Week after that, an equally powerful picture. Antoine Fuqua's twenty thirteen picture. <laughs> yeah. Olympus has fallen. Did we see the director's cut for this? Maybe there I is. Know. I think there is an extended one. I think I looked that up. I think there is. It's. Uh-huh. I don't. Do we have Who knows? Who knows? <laughs> we are recording that in moments. Spoiler, we're going to do that next in just a second. Yeah, I, w- I will say, like, uh, this is a movie that I uh, I will have to struggle to not call it White House Down. Yeah. And we yeah. record every other time I talk about oh, it. Oh, we'll talk about it. We'll, we'll talk. We'll get into the comparisons between the Armageddon Deep Impact situation. That Ooh. was Olympus has fallen in White House Down. <laughs> that had America. America had White House destruction fever. We had a uh, we had an ants and bugs life moment mm. there. Did we not you hate to see it? Yes, you hate a classic, to see it. a classic hate... volcano, Dante's Peak. So I'm gonna I'm gonna say this ahead of time because we recorded a moment, but I'll give this as a little tease. I think the trashier one is always the better one when you're Ooh. in that situation. That's true. The high-minded ones are always kind of a slog. Witness Tombstone versus White Earp. What's better? 
at the end of the Wyatt Earp was trying to be an Academy Award movie. Guess what movie we're all still watching regularly? We're watching Tombstone, right? Yeah, <laughs> we're yeah, we're not saying I'm your Earp dog or whatever the fuck the line is in that movie. We're saying I'm your Huckleberry. <laughs> Were you thinking Dante's Peak and Volcano? What are you thinking about? You're thinking about Lava on the Streets of Los Angeles. Is yes. what you're thinking. You know, it's like you. You're thinking about yeah. You're thinking about going to Universal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think the um the more fun one mm-hmm. wins. Rockhound. Yeah, yeah. Steve Buscemi so, is Rockhound. Steve Buscemi is Rockhound. Well, you know, you know, he's doing it for. He's doing it for the money. <laughs> Much like the Academy Academy. <laughs> so for Patrick, I'm Don. We will see you next week on the Academy Academy. <laughs> I just made another five hundred thousand dollars. Oh sure, that shirt money is just piling up, man. What are you gonna do with it? I don't know. I don't know. I have to deal with this mold. You take the ring from your finger. You don't know what you're doing to yourself. You take your bags and walk out the door. You don't know where you're going. You don't know where you're going. Oh.